0: Hello and many thanks for tuning in to us. This is Search for Truth, your Bible teaching programme with Brian Johnston. We've almost reached the end of our 10-week series with talk number 9 today, which is called The Prophesied Christ. The title of this whole series of talks is The Supremacy of Christ. So this time we're looking into the Bible once more with Brian to learn how the Scriptures, particularly in the book of Revelation, which has been the main focus of our studies, Uh, points to the fact that the uh, arrival, the birth, the life, the death of Jesus into this world was foretold many years before. So, now to Brian.
1: Thanks, John. And as we near the end of our look at these rewarding truths about the Lord Jesus set before us in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we now want to consider him as the prophesied Christ. John describes the Lord as the lion that is of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Let's consider for a moment those references to Judah and David. Taking Judah first, Jacob prophetically declared, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the peoples be. That's in Genesis 49 and verse 10. Additionally, in relation to David, the prophets of the Old Testament indicated that the Messiah would descend from David. Nathan, the prophet, informed Israel's king, when your days are fulfilled and you sleep with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you that shall proceed from your body and I will establish his kingdom. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And this is confirmed by the book of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 5, as having ultimate reference to Christ. In fact, throughout the three sections of the Jewish Old Testament, Jesus was prophesied. The Bible tells us that when humanity corrupted itself at the very beginning, God gave a promise of a time when another human, someone described as the seed of the woman, would make deliverance possible. Deliverance from the results of human disobedience, which had begun to trouble life in this world. The actual words are these in Genesis chapter 3. Then the Lord God said to the woman, he was addressing Eve after she'd eaten the forbidden fruit, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, And all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And so, there we see at the very beginning, God promised that a human descendant of Eve would crush our enemy, the devil. The promised human descendant was described as the offspring, or seed, of the woman. Here we find in these words the Bible's first prophecy of the Deliverer, or Messiah, who was coming. The answer to what we now experience as the human condition, with all its difficulty and trouble, had been worked out by God in advance. The solution was obviously going to be very costly. That much was clear from the mention of the hostility between descendants of Eve, who would try to give allegiance to God, on the one hand and on the other hand, those who would end up fulfilling the evil desires of the devil. The Old Testament is divided into three sections, the Law, the Prophets and the Writings. All three of them predict Jesus, and now we'll look at the Old Testament Prophets. Perhaps the best thing we can do is to try to see it from the perspective of an outsider looking in. I'm thinking of someone who fits that category, whose story is told in the Bible itself, in Acts chapter 8 in fact. There was an Ethiopian and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the Old Testament Bible prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how could I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the man answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Maybe we can identify in some ways with this traveller. Although he was from another culture, with possibly a very different religious background, he did, however, want to know more about the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Bible. He'd even travelled all the way to Jerusalem to worship God there as best as he knew how. He might have been worshipping out of considerable ignorance, but he was genuinely seeking to find the truth. God helped him in a wonderful way, and he'll help you too if you're also a true searcher after truth. Our Ethiopian friend in the story was on a spiritual journey as well as travelling through the desert. But he'd not found the answers he was looking for in Jerusalem. He'd come away still unclear about certain things, but at least he was looking in the right place. By that I mean he was reading his Bible, reading from the prophets as he travelled homewards again. Parts of the Bible are definitely not easy to understand and he was struggling with the prophets, especially the part in the writings of the prophet Isaiah where the prophet wrote about someone about to be slaughtered, just like the way people slaughter sheep. But why should he have been reading that section? I don't know, but perhaps they'd been reading it at Jerusalem while he'd been there. Maybe he'd asked Jews at Jerusalem about what this meant, this bit about a man being led to the slaughter. No wonder he was confused. Most Jews in Jerusalem wouldn't have been able to answer his question whether the Bible prophet was speaking about himself or, if not, who else? I suggest that the Jews at Jerusalem didn't know the answer either because if they had known it, they'd never have crucified Jesus Christ. In fact, as the Ethiopian was about to find out, Jesus Christ was the very person whose death or slaughter Isaiah had been predicting hundreds of years earlier. This Ethiopian was soon to receive more enlightenment than many Jews at that time, or even since. How could that be possible How could the Jews themselves have missed the meaning of God's message, which had been directed to them in the first instance? Yet how often we too hear only what we want to hear and see only what we want to see. Jews had been conditioned to understand that the Bible predicted the coming of a great deliverer or Messiah. Not so much a spiritual deliverer, but a heroic political and military figure. They miss completely Isaiah's distinctive picture of the Messiah. Peter said about Jesus, that's the disciple Peter in chapter 2 from verse 22 of his first letter, He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. I have no doubt that this matches very closely what Philip must have said to the Ethiopian, because Peter too was using the same Bible text in Isaiah chapter 53 as his starting point. Peter tells us that we've all wandered away from God, irrespective of who and where we are, We've all gone astray like sheep. Choosing to go our own way and not God's way has made us to be like wandering sheep as far as God in heaven is concerned. That's Peter explaining what he means by our sins. That's why Israel's long-awaited Messiah, Jesus, God's very own son, had to be sacrificed. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for his was a perfect life. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. It was all in God's plan that our terrible disease of sin might be healed by his wounds. What a wonderfully loving God. He's offering each of us a free pardon which was paid for by his own son. So what do we need to do? Let's refer again to Peter. Everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins. He says in Acts 10 verse 43. I'll have to leave you to research the writings. Remember, that's the third section of the Jewish Old Testament. I'll have to leave you to research the writings for yourselves. But I suggest you begin with Psalm 22, which is an amazing poetic description of the cross, which we've now arrived at in our consideration of Philip's preaching. And so the law... And the prophets, and also the writings, the three parts of the Old Testament as the Jews regarded it, they all prophesied Jesus. As we've been exploring our current theme of Jesus, as the prophesied Jesus, as triggered by those references to Judah and David in the titles given to him in the book of Revelation, we might conclude by observing that Jesus also describes himself as the root and offspring of David. That's found in Revelation 22 and verse 16. This is a very significant description. Obviously, the root is the source from which a plant springs. The term is used metaphorically for the fact that Jesus was the origin and strength of the messianic line. On the other hand, Jesus' lineage from David is established both legally in Matthew and biologically in Luke's Gospel, by means of their New Testament genealogical records. Bringing both of these facts together, we might say, in his divine capacity, Christ was David's root, and in his human role, he was David's offspring. This was the Christ who was prophesied, David's Lord and David's Son, so as to be our Saviour. Cheers!
0: Although we don't often have a Christmas hymn in July, uh, the words of verse 3 fit quite well so I couldn't resist including it. I trust you'll agree and I hope you enjoyed it, the talk too of course. I remind you again there's a transcript booklet containing all of this series, uh, so if you'd like one or more please tell us and ask for the title, The Supremacy of Christ. Now I'm about to give you our contact details, so if you've got pen and paper to hand, here they are. Search for truth. Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. Now I'll repeat that. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You may be interested to know that you can listen again to many of these broadcasts off-air by audio podcast versions. So if you go to www.searchfortruth.podbean.com you can browse the list of previous talks which you'll see when you get there has been sorted into categories to help you. So it's been a great privilege to have you with us today. Many thanks for listening. Next week's the final study in this series and Brian's study is of the victorious Christ, so be sure to join us. Until then, very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers and me, John. A goodbye and may God richly bless you.